News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. In our United States, about half of the people live in cities and their suburbs. Between these cities has grown a network of transportation arteries to carry men and goods in a steady flow of commerce. Largest of these cities is New York. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel. I'm Christina Grimm. I'm Adam, Adam Kamara. And Alex Brooklyn, both all wrapped up into one. And with that, joining us today is Jose Martinez of the City, senior transportation reporter to talk about uh, 50 billion here, a few hundred million there, and next thing you know, you're talking about real money in the MTA's vast new capital plan. Let's jump right in. Ooh. Jumping splash. Splash town. Yeah. Splash town. <laughs> so, Jose, thanks for joining us. Um, My pleasure. Fill us in on this vast new capital plan and uh, whether or not the mayor of New York is going to uh, put in his paltry $3 billion or so that he's being asked for. Well, as, as capital programs go, this is the big one, so to speak. Uh, these have been around in some shape or form since the early 1980s, have been hugely instrumental in turning around the subway system. And right now, uh, this is uh, another huge need for the MTA to continue to build on some successes they've had in turning around the subway system, but it's going to cost a lot of money. So at 51 and change billion dollars, uh, it's the biggest they've ever had. And funding is no sure thing. Uh, it counts on money from all types of revenue streams, including the congestion pricing, which we won't even see in place in the city for a co- other couple of years. And then, Harry, as you mentioned, the city of New York. So. The projection is that they're going to want $3 billion from the city of New York, which is really peanuts in the big picture. I hate to say peanuts and $3 billion in the same sentence, but this is where we are. Uh, But you can count on another long fight just as we saw in the previous capital plan between City Hall, between the MTA and lurking over all of it, uh, Albany, the uh, governor – Andrew Cuomo as to where that money is going to come from. But I've been on this beat a long time. I've gotten used to this sort of uh, thing. They fought over really a small amount of money for the city to pitch into the MTA's uh, subway action plan of two summers ago when things were really at a low. So you better believe it's going to be a big struggle to squeeze three bill out of uh, Mayor Bill. And (laughs) the mayor has already uh, sent out a letter saying, here are the three conditions on which we might give you some money, and you've got to meet these conditions. What about that $10 billion from the federal government? Does, how does that look? That's another uh, one that the MTA is hooking its hopes to. Uh, and the, the federal government, of course, is, is very instrumental in all of this. And uh, part of the plan is to extend the 2nd Avenue subway north from 96th Street to 125th Street. And this picked up, I guess you could say, a little momentum uh, a few weeks back when President Trump, out of nowhere – really tweets that he's interested in the 2nd Avenue subway, seeing it go north. So this gives some hope to the MTA that perhaps there's 
something to be counted on in terms of federal money. But uh, federal money, as we have seen on other projects like the Gateway Tunnel between New York and New Jersey, it's it's no sure thing. But uh, I expect that this plan will – the financing struggle will go on for some time. The back and forth will go on for some time. Uh, the shape of it will uh, – it will change as well. Things will come and go. Things will drop out. Remember in the last plan – well, actually, if you remember this, you've been following this way too closely and I'm sorry for you. <laughs> but in the last plan, they didn't have fa- money for the Second Avenue subway except for a few dollars and there was enough of a protest – Money got put back into the program. So the point being, this will evolve over time. Can I ask a quick question? What was Bill de Blasio's three conditions? I believe it was that the MTA needs to commit to spending a certain amount of money before it can count on anything from the city. It's also asking for – Which is interesting because we didn't spend all the money right that was in the last plan. There's, because you're projecting billions of dollars years out. So saying the city's dollars should be the last dollars in is, uh, is, is like a pretty big demand. Like if you don't get to your 50-odd mm-hmm. billion and change. But I'll keep the change. Um, but that's like a Robert Moses type jujitsu move. You know, and I'm not – listen, you know I've been very critical of the mayor. But I'm not super mad at that move where it's like, listen, you guys have to put up before we put up. Right. I understand so, that that's like uh, – So the mayor wants the city's priorities, which – you know, last time the city's priorities included a study for maybe someday extending subway service down Utica Avenue. He wants uh, the money from the um, congestion pricing plan, which we mentioned earlier, to be exhausted, to use his words, before uh, the city contributes a cent. And then something about an independent forensic audit required by the enacted state budget and uh, that it needs to be accelerated and so on and so forth. So I remember these are conditions. You remember, I remember. I don't think anyone else remembers the mayor's Utica Avenue subway plan, which was a big thing in his state of the city, and it was going to be like another, like like Southern Spike, uh, to just sort of extend transit like east in Brooklyn to where to where you get into the transit deserts. And he made a big thing about this, and there was going to be a, a study. Did that study ever get released? And then, then, then after no, it didn't, didn't no one we all of a sudden just get some ferries? Out it of started. So the yeah, the, the city has put money in the things like the ferries, um, and that's a whole other discussion <laughs> we can have. But the Utica Avenue thing, he sort of just tucked into the one NYC plan uh, a few years back, and then got five million dollars again peanuts for inclusion in the last capital program to study the potential expansion of subway service along Utica Avenue in Brooklyn. And so last week at the city, I I wrote a couple of stories about this. Number one, I was curious, hey, whatever happened to this thing? Where is it? And no one would answer me. No one would say exactly what was going to happen. And it was not mentioned in the outline of the MTA's 2020 to 24 capital program. And then it turns out there's another $5 million to keep studying. So keep studying. Utica, for readers who are not in Brooklyn all the time, is basically East 50th Street, right? Right now, the farthest eastbound train is the 2-5. Like the 3 and the 4 keep going straight east and the 2 and the 5 jut south on Nostrand, which is like East 30th Street. So this would be a really big expansion into um, into a large swath of Brooklyn where right now people are dependent on cars or buses. If they, the B46 they need to get is, yeah. is one of the busiest bus lines in the city and the MTA is going to be trimming 
some frequency of service along that line saying they're just going to run more articulated. Those are accordion buses in, in the, the regular person speak uh, along Utica Avenue. But, you know, so bottom you line is – So you might get to see it after you wait in the rain for 30 minutes for yeah, your bus or your is, four buses that come together. It's a, it's a curious priority, but it remains on the list. And it's still probably many decades away from fruition. Look how long it took us to open the first three stations along 2nd Avenue. So Utica Avenue is on the list, but I would say it's very far down the list. As far as the forensic audit that he's asking for, is that going to be like a huge roadblock considering, I mean, how many times have the MTA really opened up their books? And wasn't what was, wasn't there, a, I remember a double book scandal when I was a well, that, teenager. That, that, <laughs> that's <laughs> the, the one double. of those... Uh, <laughs> One of those forever stories that gets passed along. Uh, it came, I believe, from uh, Alan Hevesy when he was uh, oh, state Alan comptroller Hevesy, who later ended up behind bars. Uh, and it's one that has persisted. Uh, the MTA says it's mythology, but I would say that they're actually, you know, in terms of the information that they present to the public, they're pretty good. But it's also such a huge bureaucracy with an enormous annual budget, an enormous capital budget, and a monstrous amount of debt too. So the the finances are always going to be tricky with the MTA. But this uh, audit that you mentioned is required by law. So it's something that will need to be done. It's it's written in the law and uh, it's part of the mayor's conditions. So you got to get one, two, and three, and then maybe they can talk. So Jose, for our listeners, I mean, you're one of the top transit journalists in the city. Thanks. Please diagnose the problem for us. I mean, this to me, as an outsider, just seems, we're talking billions with billions. a B. B is in baby, B is in boy, B is in Bernard, right? It just seems like gross mismanagement on so many different levels. The, the price tags consistently balloon. New Yorkers are expected to pay $2.75 for each ride, and we know so many can't afford monthly Metro cards. So why is it that we're looking at a $55 billion plan over the next several years, but New Yorkers don't necessarily have the confidence that the system is getting better? It is. You are now Dr. Martinez. (laughs) And and Dr. Martinez, it's actually my dad. It reminds me when he comes to town, he asks me, why are you always doing these stories about billions? Why is everything so expensive? Mm -hmm. So that's immediately what I thought of when you asked me that because, yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And uh, it's it's a joke like, oh, a few million dollars will buy you a few tiles to – Well, I mean a $5 million study, who is – what $5 million do you need for a study? I mean – It's gold-plated. Right. (laughs) No, it's it's expensive. There's no doubt. But to keep the system in a good repair, in a state of good repair, takes a lot of money. And you have to remember that this is a system that was for much of its existence really left to rot in the interest of keeping the fare down. So what that adds up to is the neglect piles on. And eventually, after years of improvements, Things regressed. But is it expensive? Yes, it is. There are a lot of things written in that 
pump up the price tag on this thing. So such as oh, you have as as the as the New York Times chronicled in its series last year, staffing on certain mega projects, say East Side Access, say some of the big construction jobs, where the unions are required to have X number of workers on a job that in other countries and other transit systems are staffed by far fewer people. It's a real problem for the MTA, which says it's looking at ways to contain costs. Does the capital plan address that at all or is that a separate? That's a separate discussion, a separate work group to use one of their favorite phrases. Uh, so so those, this 50-odd billion doesn't yeah, deal with that. You look at the price tag for that next phase of the Second Avenue subway, which I'm looking at here. Uh, $4.5 billion is what's projected to be spent uh, in the 2020 to 2024 plan. Now, considering that one of the tunnels uh, is already built, which would be included in this eventual and hopeful expansion from 110th Street to 120th Street. And it's been built for decades, right? It's been built since the 1970s. It was going to be part of the plan before uh, the city ran out of money. And so that would presumably save them a few bucks, right? Because they don't have to bore, they don't have to go as deep. But there are some challenges in the next phase of the Second Avenue subway. They're going to have to bore very deeply when the line turns west to go beneath the existing Lexington Avenue uh, subway line. That's an engineering feat. It really is uh, to keep the Lex running while construction is going on around it. So that's, that's quite a feat. And uh, the MTA says that it has also to do with safety codes. I'm not sure that uh, people are buying their line for why at least the Second Avenue project is so expensive. But overall, uh, this is a, an issue that the MTA has, has faced in many of its projects. It's, it's, a, it's a big problem for them, no doubt about it. Why are we looking at other countries more closely? I mean, you know, I know that part of this plan is not just about subways, it's about bus expansion. You mentioned that briefly because so many New Yorkers actually use buses as their main form of public transport. But why aren't we looking at a place like Bogota that has, you know, the transmillennia where, you know, you sort of board essentially as though you're getting on a subway. You don't interact with the bus driver. So it's similar to some of the buses we have now. And it just flies down the streets because it's barricaded in, you know, in a protected bus lane. Cars can't get in it. Lights are synchronized. And it essentially operates as a de facto subway, but it costs just a fraction of the cost. And it's up and running. And we could get this up and running in a year or two as opposed to waiting, you know, several decades. Takes, Why aren't we thinking It about takes that? so long to get anything done in New York, as you know. It's it's so complicated. Just look at the BQX. And it's, it's funny um, that you mentioned the, the Bogota bus rapid transit system because I was actually on my walk over here. I was thinking about that. Several years ago when I was at New York One, I interviewed the former mayor of Bogota who lives right near where we are today uh, for a story about that, Mm -hmm. thinking why won't New York consider this sort of surface level uh, transportation that runs like a subway. Yeah, exactly. But uh, just look at the BQX. Uh, That has gone – very uh, – hasn't moved very much at all, that project. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah, hasn't moved very much at all. The, the, the timeline has moved. The price tag has changed. And construction is difficult. Uh, it's some sort of uh, hurdle that has to be cleared here because you would think, you know, in a city as congested as New York with as many demands 
by its public on the need to get around that we'd be looking for different ways. But uh, everything is complicated here. It really is. And subway expansion is complicated. Subway expansion is expensive. The buses have their own problems. The ridership is cratered on the buses. Uh, the MTA is trying a bunch of different strategies to try and get people back on the buses. And uh, good luck to them. It's really tough. Uh, people have a lot more options for getting around, which may or may not be uh, ecologically responsible. We're talking about taking cars everywhere. Uh, but these are the problems and the, the questions that the MTA has to grapple with. And How do they bring people back to the buses? How do they make buses more attractive? They want to buy a whole bunch more buses. Uh, they want to make more of them electric. That's also called for in this plan. But there are all of these very lofty goals. The trick, as we mentioned earlier, finding the funding and then getting it done on a timely basis. And that's that's really been a challenge too. Yeah. Speaking of complicated things, two two leaders come to mind here. There's this uh, man's man, and I believe it must be a certified engineer and hard hat wearing motorcycle driving governor who stepped in and said, "Back off, MTA, with your your nerd plans. Uh, there's going to be no apocalypse." Uh, he also coined the phrase "summer of hell," incidentally, before that ended up uh, not being so terrible. Fond memories out. from two years ago. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Very fun. Um, so. Are there ways that the governor, who has a great deal of control over this outside agency, could step in and force changes in terms of, uh, of cost controls with, uh, with, with labor um, or otherwise press this plan? Um, it was very striking what happened with, with the L, where, where he just sort of – there, there was a process through the agency and then he stepped in and said, we're, we're doing this other thing, which so far has worked. To the extent that, uh, you know, service hasn't entirely shut down and the L's continue to run as they're upgrading the signals there at least. Well, the governor really likes to project himself as a man of action. When something needs to get done, he will roll up the sleeves. He'll put on the work boots. He won't put on the hard hat. He will not. He never puts a hard hat on even when he's walking the tracks. But he gets things done. That's the way he wants it presented. So Second Avenue, for instance – he wanted to make the case that uh, he's going to just bear down on these workers. He's going to make sure the work gets done and it's going to open on time by the MTA's deadline of January 1st, 2017. And it did. It did. And the governor had his moment and he uh, was able to look good in taking a ceremonial ride on New Year's Eve and in being there the day it opened and welcoming everyone. But you know what? Since then, there have been reports about things that were shorted uh, on the list before it opened. So they were not done with a lot of the task when trains actually started running. And the uh, stations uh, along 2nd Avenue, as I've reported in the city, have had extensive problems with their escalators, and those which are, are deep the newest in the system. These are deep stations. So the governor, And the elevators too, right? And because the if one elevator is out, then – the, yeah, this the is, station this is, is useless for people who need access. You know, they're fortunate enough to have multiple entrances at these very deep and uh, large stations. But the big question is why is this happening? And it happened also at Hudson Yards. I wrote a story mm-hmm. uh, right before the city launched uh, when Hudson Yards was opening about, OK, Hudson Yards, great, nice mm-hmm. shopping mall over there on 10th Avenue. But 
the escalators are among the worst por- performing in Manhattan. So that's a problem. And there's some of the newest. And there are just uh, – some of them are just barely three years old. Others that had opened at the station's other entrance, uh, less than a year old. And to have those problems, it's it's not a good look. But the governor steps in when he can, when he can flex his uh, Cuomo muscle. And as he did on the L, uh, shows how it's done. Your double are probably the best we've ever had on this podcast. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> One, one, one more man to ask about, Corey Johnson, who's the council speaker and has been talking about how the city should just run its own train system. Um, is this uh, something that, that potentially is or could become a, a policy reality? Is this just political talk in a way of pointing to how checked out the mayor, Mayor Bill de Blasio, has often seen? Or, or what should we make of that? Well, it's a plan when he pushed it out. I think it was back in January or so, uh, that looks good on paper, that certainly is going to catch the attention of some people. Uh, It's not exactly new uh, for people to say the city should run the transit authority, and by that I mean the buses, the subway, and and, uh, and paratransit for uh, those with with limited mobility. Uh, I I remember Anthony Weiner mentioning it during the 2013 campaign before he fizzled out – Again, uh, whenever that was. Uh, And uh, so it's been kicked around. That idea has been floated in the past. Uh, Who knows if it has any traction. It has to clear all types of hurdles in Albany. It sounds good, but it's problematic if you consider, too, that one of the reasons the MTA was created some 50 50 years ago was because the city – had not succeeded in running the transit system. Is this essentially like a stopgap protection measure for in case the city falls on hard times? We have some external entity that yeah, let them can, handle it. Yeah, you know. Well, I've and got a question. The city could never you. raise the fare, right? That that, that yeah. was the whole thing. It was like the nickel fare was it holding. stayed on uh-huh. the nickel fare for decades, far too long. I still, at this point, even with it going up, when I look at other cities and I and I think about. Our fare, two seventy five to get you anywhere, to get you from Coney Island up to to the Bronx. I, I still happen to think that's a pretty good yeah. deal. And it's twenty four hours. I mean, and it's you know, when you hours. go to other cities, yeah. it's like you better hurry up and finish that drink. It's ten forty five. We got to get on the subway before eleven. I'm wearing my little token right now. I've got a question though because this is something that has been in my is it craw or my claw. Stuck in your craw. Stuck in your craw. A craw. I've looked this up many times because I always forget. Yeah, it's a a throaty area. Okay, well, this is in my craw and it's in my claw. Okay. And I want to know if if the MTA sort of is addressing this in their capital plan and how they're framing it. This idea of fair beaters being the ones who are essentially robbing the MTA and they're the reason why we don't have good service and they're the reasons these fair – these – Fair beaters are the reasons why people are disappointed and there's trash on the track. That the signals haven't been changed. Right. Updates haven't been done. And that we have old train cars and inadequate buses. And what's so frustrating to me is the framing of black and Latinx youth from particular stops being the ones that are causing this citywide epidemic of, you know, lack of money, resources, and the system that actually does operate pretty well when we think about it. But... All the ills are sort of put on these mysterious fare beaters. And because I work at Lincoln Center, I see fare beaters all the time, and they're 
75-plus years old. They are not Black or Latinx, and they just roll on through, <laughs> literally and figuratively, with impunity, and cops just watch them do it. And so what does the MTA have to say about their they're shaking the tin can asking for money whilst also I feel like they're scapegoating certain citizens of New York that look at the size of the MTA's budget. It Mm -hmm. is huge. Yeah. I think it's around $17 billion. And the estimate of what they will lose uh, for the current year that we're in uh, to fair beating is just about a quarter billion. So you have to look at it in that context. It's not the biggest driver mm-hmm. of the MTA's financial problems. However, it is a one that gets a lot of attention. It jumps Well, there's off, signs well, everywhere. It's not a lot of attention. They've they've taken out like an ad campaign to uh, to, 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 to frame to, it as such. Yeah. That. And my I, I mean, I have a follow-up question with this is because what I'm curious about is you station, so all of a sudden, right, oh, no, it's the fair beaters. We really got to figure this out. You know, there's signs, everyone, if someone beats a fair, it's like messing us all up for our trains. And there's this huge campaign, like how much does the printing cost for those ad campaigns? How much does it cost to get someone to hang those signs? How much does it cost? for the city for these cops to be stationed extra at these stations. Who gets the money from the thank you very much misdemeanor uh, gavel $150 for your uh, attendance at the court today? You know, who – this money isn't getting funneled back into the MTA. Right, going this extra policing subway. is only costing the city more money. I just don't understand how – that could possibly, other than some sort of just obvious and absurd diversionary marketing campaign, be good for the city in any way. Well, it's it's when we were talking about the governor earlier, and as this issue has gained in how much attention it receives, the governor a few months back said we're going to put 500 more police officers, splitting them from the MTA police, from the state police, and a few more from the uh, transit bureau of the NYPD into the system to try and gain some control of the fare beating issue, which is particularly bad, I should say, on the buses more so than the subway. And then I I wrote a a story a couple of months back in the city about this campaign. It's it's being used with money from the Manhattan District Attorney, $40 million for, among other things, those signs that you see on subway cars and in buses, which is, by the way, on – MTA ad space, so that would ordinarily be the house ads, not Dr. Zismore ads, not seamless ads. <laughs> I love that you just <laughs> called them Dr. Zismore. Oh my gosh, you are welcome back to this podcast anytime. <laughs> anytime. We could talk Dr. Zismore for a good 20 minutes at least. So, he's dead. Uh, he's out. He oh, got out. He, he, he <laughs> he's retired dead. and he's out. Yeah, but, uh, a legendary <laughs> ad campaign. So they, they spent $40 million uh, on these efforts to try and reduce fair beating. And I at one $40 point, million. Dollars. $40 million. And, and I did a funny story the same day that Cuomo announced this. Everyone did the story about how they're going to put more cops in. They're going to spend $40 million, get some cameras in the stations, and redesign the fare control areas. That is where you pay the turnstile, where you, where you swipe at the turnstile, where you enter the subway system. Well, that's a lot of money to even talk about redesigning um, fare control areas when just a few years earlier, the MTA had spent all types of money to redesign 19 stations, Mm -hmm. uh, 
as part of its enhanced station initiative. And when those 19 stations were rebuilt, they looked nice. They had some very fine art in them, some new entrances that looked less like cages. But one of the things was they put in these doors, these emergency gates, which are low. So you can just reach right over. Anyone about, say, five, two and over mm-hmm. is going to have no problem standing on their toes or just reaching right over and letting themselves in. And I see that all the time at these stations. I And, and people just – it was a design flaw and the MTA said, oh, this is the state of the art right now. It's the look we want. But now they have to go back and redesign and that costs more money. So right. it's just – Frustrating, I think, yeah. that uh, they spend money on this sort of thing and then they have to go right back at it and fix it to undo the mess, which all goes back to fare evasion. Uh, which My is, question is if they just let it go and stop spending all this money on trying to beat fare evasion and extra cops and stuff, so it wouldn't really, it wouldn't really impact or would it? Net gain, net loss here. Well, fair evasion, you, you've, you've always had it, but I, I really do think that it's uh, pretty out in the open. Uh, I've seen it in every borough, and when I was at my previous job where I carried around a camera while reporting uh, on the transit system, I would set up my tripod and my camera, and people would jump right in front of me, or they'd swing right through the gate, nothing to it. They see the person's there. They don't necessarily know who I am. I'm wearing a a shield, which is a press tag, but you know they might as well think it's uh, some sort of official thing, uh, law enforcement, and nothing to it. Um, I would see it at 14th Street. I've seen it at 28th Street. I've seen it at Tremont Avenue. I've seen it at 72nd Street. I had a really great shot of a guy, like a classic shot of a guy jumping over the turnstile at 72nd Street. I see they're still using it uh, at New York One. So that one makes me very proud uh, that we <laughs> caught that one. And he caught a free ride. But it's just wide open. It's out in the open and nothing to it. And you've seen it at every station. You I see it all over the place. I was asking Harry about this before the podcast to get his insights in like the, the data that's supposed to be released and should be being released in the next few days about arrests made for fare evasion throughout the city and like which stations get more arrests. But that would that would assume that certain stations actually have police to arrest. I mean, I, I've been to loads of stations where there are no police. Yeah, and when, when let... Cuomo announced that there were going to be more police officers uh, going into the system. We asked the members of the uh, Transit Press Corps, where are they going to go? And he says, oh, we're not going to give that up. But suffice it to say, these officers will be stationed at areas where they're needed. Then there was this report a couple of weeks back from the MTA's inspector general criticizing the methodologies that the MTA used to generate its estimates on mm-hmm. fare evasion. So the numbers may be different from what the MTA is projecting. Uh, no one is quite certain. But I don't think there's any question that it's an issue for the MTA. But, you know, they've got a lot of them. And this is this is not anything about uh, – reliability of, of service, that would be replacing the signals, which gets a huge chunk in this capital plan. Mm-hmm. But this is one that no doubt gets a lot of attention and it uh, lends itself to some politicians saying we've got to do this or you know, some appointees to the MTA board uh, saying this is a serious problem. Uh, it, it's it's a, almost a distraction in some ways mm-hmm. from other issues 
that the MTA faces, which are very, very serious and important to the nearly six million people that ride the subway every day, the one and a half million who ride the buses every day where fare evasion is very high. They just – I've had bus drivers tell me that people just scoot right by them. Right. Not pay the fare. Has that decreased with the buses where you pay and get the ticket beforehand and then load? Well, I mean, that's, that's the honor system essentially on those uh, select bus service lines. Uh, and um, Well, I guess my question for you is this because I've only been on select bus service in the Bronx going from Fordham's Bronx campus to the one train. What's and that, the 12? Yes, the BX-12. And what I've noticed on that line is when police come in in force, they never look at me. I have my white ticket ready. They never look at, you know, someone who looks like Alex or Harry, but they immediately go to any Latinx-looking person, especially if they look like they've just come off of a job working class with paint on their pants or something like that or a backpack. And that's the only time I've ever seen enforcement and they're promptly escorted off of the bus and there's a police van. And so does the MTA, when they say that they're keeping data on these these things, is this even part of the discussion about how it's how enforcement on these select buses? Select buses, uh, I should explain, are those where you pay your fare before boarding. You get a little white slip of paper that you're then supposed to hold on to as proof of payment. So – they have what's called an Eagle Team, which is mostly retired police officers who are in the uh, employ of the MTA who occasionally at certain stops you will see them board the buses and everyone, as you said, is asked to produce a slip. Uh, I used to ride the select buses a lot more frequently than I do now. When I was living on the east side, I would ride the M15 down 2nd Avenue, up 1st Avenue. I'd see them there. Uh, I live now on the Upper West Side, occasionally ride the M86 or the M79, seen them on there. But it's sort of scattershot, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's it's uh, and, and as this expands, they want to have more buses where this is the fare payment system. Why? So people can load more quickly and so service can get moving right. a little more quickly. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's great. You it's efficient. You want to have buses moving more efficiently. But yeah, how do you avoid the fare uh, evasion issue on that one. It's another one of the things that they have to figure out because as it expands, more people could say, oh, hey, you know, this is the free ride. This is the one where you just hold on to the slip or put it in your pocket or, or whatever. But uh, I, I know that it's a, it's a delicate issue mm-hmm. and uh, one that uh, lends itself to a, a look at, you know, who are the ones that aren't paying the fare. So just one more question here. Actually tying together Cuomo and the apocalypse and uh, Corey Johnson in the city. One of the the only good things people were excited about with the idea of the L train shutting down was having 14th Street as a uh, dedicated avenue. Busway. Yeah, busway, which then got a little more complicated and I think is being tried out in part now and cars can be there but they have to turn right away if they are. Are there more possibilities of that sort for just sort of shifting how we're using – streets to potentially favor uh, mass transportation options? Uh, and is, is there any headway coming up in those that we can see, like real dedicated lanes? That busway along M14 was uh, a plan that would have limited 14th Street uh, to buses only. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately got tangled up in all types of legal challenges and 
it just sort of is dying a slow death. There are other streets in the city where different things have been tried. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the select bus service line that passes along in front of Yankee Stadium. There, the MTA has a limited stretch of 161st Street given over to uh, Center Island boarding so that instead of pulling off to the side, the bus goes down the middle on both sides, has its own lanes, gets people moving more quickly. Are those painted lanes or are they actually – They are painted lanes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's an island in the middle of 161st Street. Uh, a similar thing was pitched years back. It didn't didn't happen, but it was pitched for Woodhaven Boulevard, Cross Bay Boulevard in Queens on the, uh, the 52 and the 53 select bus service routes. So there are some streets in the city where the MTA and obviously with the help of the city's Department of Transportation – could look at ways to get buses moving more quickly, more efficiently. Uh, but it also comes down to a battle between uh, are we a driving city, are we a transit city in parts of the boroughs where the transit system isn't as extensive. Uh, that's sort of an issue. Uh, but there are places in the city where I, you know, master transportation planner, see that we could do things a little differently than we do now. And that's important when you're trying to bring people back to the transit system and, and most importantly, when you're trying to get them moving. Jose, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Um, are there any big thoughts that uh, people who care about the, uh, the trains and the buses and, you know, sort of having an equitable way to get around the city – should be watching over these next four years and the uh, progression of this program to measure uh, success or failure and to reward or punish the, uh, the leaders who get us there? And which leaders should they be uh, watching most closely? Well, I think you just want to see how much of this gets done, all right? So how many signal upgrade projects? That's the big, big, big ticket item in this uh, new proposed capital plan. It proposes to spend $7 billion on upgrading signals. So to and quote – signals are the ones that sort of make the trains they make go, go in. Yeah, and, uh, and only the 7 fashion. and the L have a modern system, but they want to put that on six more lines. So that's hugely important. But to quote Andy Byford, the head of New York City Transit, uh, to, to make that gain, it's going to require some pain, meaning possible extended shutdowns on the overnights, on the weekends – uh, to to put in the new signal. So I think that's hugely important, one to keep an eye on. And, you know, we need to get serious in this city about preserving what is really uh, a treasure. Uh, and that's, that's the subway system and making sure that it not only functions well, but that it goes up to the level of other cities, other countries, because it's so important to the economy, to the city, to everyone's getting around. I think that's that's the huge issue to watch, what they get done. And that, to me, is the big one, the signals. So before we let you go, what's your favorite subway line and what's your favorite subway station? My favorite subway station, I have a couple. Uh, I absolutely love Whitlock Avenue uh, in the Bronx okay. because it comes out from Hunts Point there. And so there's a spot there where you see the, the number six coming up and then you turn around and it's going over a bridge over the Bronx River when I was doing television. I loved shooting that. I also like Broadway Junction. You're up really high, and there's a spot on the L platform at Broadway Junction where you can just see multiple elevated lines. You can see a subway yard. You can see the Rockaways. 
if you're into that sort of thing, uh, I think it's a wonderful place to get a view of the city in its many different forms uh, and of the transit system. I Sorry, I like trains. <laughs> and uh, I, <laughs> I guess you figured that out. Uh, and it's just a really cool spot. And when I was doing television, I just loved it. You know, seeing mm-hmm. the L train and seeing the background, all these different bridges and passageways and different parts of the city. So those are two of my favorites. All right, listeners, uh, check what, it out. What did Andy buy for? What was his quote? The pain and gain one? Yeah. That... Uh, we may have to endure some pain to make this gain. We may have to endure some pain to make this gain. <laughs> you're I was trying there. to. You're, yeah. you're getting yeah. there. I'm, I'm there, trying to there, hold my... of, there are a whole bunch of songs. No pain, no gain. Yeah. Remember that one from and the Andy 80s? Byford. I'm just gonna say he's endured some pain. <laughs> I think mental. He's in a tough job. Stressful. Yeah, I mean that's, pain that's, that's not an easy job. That's it's not a tough an easy job. job. And I mean, you know, he's he's coming from. London, right? He's coming from Sydney. He was, uh, I'm sorry, from Toronto. He was okay. the head he of the, the Toronto London Transit one. Commission. Then he was at Sydney prior to that, and he earlier in his career worked in London. He's respected. Uh, he is very committed. Um, he seems to enjoy himself somehow. Uh, but it's a tough job. I should point out that uh, in the time that I've been on the beat, uh, no head of New York City Transit has stuck around for more than two years. It's a tough job. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, and to be fair, as you've mentioned before, yeah, I mean, first of all, the London tube system shuts down at basically 11. Time to do work o'clock. overnight, yeah, which and we so, don't I mean, have here. And you can wake up in the morning and, and things have, have been worked on. But I also think, you know, you, you are correct. When, when I am being fair to the MTA, $2.75 can get you basically in, in, to five boroughs and yeah, we have a 24-hour system. Yeah, think about it. The, the DC system. Metro, where will oh. it get you? To Northern so Virginia. I don't trust a metro system that has carpet. Okay? I, would, I was, I was <laughs> saying to I was saying <laughs> to my boyfriend now how clean these stations are, DC. Oh, so, and he goes, he goes, no, you don't understand how good you have it here. I'm like, what do you mean how good we have it here? Look at it. It's disgusting. The trains are squeaky, et cetera. And he goes, no, no, no. You really don't understand how good you have it here. So yeah. I guess I have to take his word for it. Well, I mean, also Boston, you know, they, it's not... I'm about to go on a rant about Boston, but you know, like we have a, we have some deficiencies, but I'm very glad that we have people who are committed to working on it, and I'm even more happy that we have reporters that are keeping us abreast of best beat in town. Of it is the best beat in town. Can we follow you along on your beat one day? Uh, sure. I'd, I'd <laughs> say I'm probably a lot less exciting now <laughs> that I'm at the city than when I was at New York One, huffing up and down with the camera. But uh, I'm still having fun, and I, I like what we're doing. So. Uh, here's my plug. I would encourage you to check out the work we're doing at the city. Mm-hmm. It's the city.nyc. We have some very good investigative reporters, and I am having a really good time doing different things and uh, hopefully digging into topics that maybe don't get the attention elsewhere, but uh, that I'd be happy to talk about with you anytime. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, listeners. F-A-Q. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news and by listeners like you. We recorded this week at the McSilver Institute. That's the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research here at NYU. A special thank you to Jose Martinez, who's the senior reporter at The City, and you can find him on thecity.nyc, and to our executive producer, Alex Brooklyn, And a shout-out to Adam Kamara, who set up the equipment at McSilver and is mixing the show this week. Remember, if you have to ask, 
tune into the FAC for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. Harry hates everybody in this room. No, I don't. Everyone in this room is just enjoying themselves and enjoying themselves a little more because it's hurting me. Okay. Um, <laughs> Torture Larry.